Thank you to our worship team and a special happy Father's Day. Yeah. A special happy Father's Day to Christian, who will be a dad. Bryce is also in this category. He will be a dad. And I know that there are others. We call this the bridge organic growth model, right? And so um, way to go, guys. We're, we're so excited. Um, well, good morning, everybody. How many of you guys enjoyed the mini bear claws, as already been mentioned? The cold brew. Where's Andy? Andy, Dana, thank you so much for being our barista. The problem is when you're really good at something, you become like, a, it's like a marketable skill for church. You're like, could you come and do coffee? Or you guys, you know, some of you guys did such a good job on the meat for uh, Jubilee. We're like, hey, uh, Ohana's coming up. Can you do, yeah, so, um, yeah, you, you do stuff good. You get in trouble a little bit around here. But Andy, thank you so much. I'm going to be a little bit blah, 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 today because of your cold brew. And I said probably somewhere around 11, I might start going like this because of the bear claws. So there's like a counteractive thing going on. But anyways, we want to honor dads. We have a gift for you. Um, We have some of our youth and some of our children that are here to to pass out gifts to all the dads, the future dads, the spiritual dads. And as they um, pass this out, I think we have a video as well that we want to show that gives some insight into the many and diverse jobs of a dad. So... Thank you guys for passing this out and check out this video. When you're a dad, you have to play a lot of roles. Hey, 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 don't eat that. Don't tap on the fire. Lodi. All right. Oh, you're good. Take, take a left. Turn left. Turn left. Turn left. When a man loves a woman, he... Honey. All righty, sweetie. This time I want you to concentrate and focus on the ball. You got this. Sweetie, your date's here. Two weeks, no TV, no phone. This is my door in my house. I told you this thing. You get the door back when I say you get the door back. Hey, knock it off. Don't let me turn this car around. I'll do it. What are you wearing? You're not going anywhere looking like that. Go on back upstairs and put some clothes on. Oh! Got it. Ooh, sweetie, open the door. Get the door. Get the door. Get the door. Get the door. Open the door. Open the door. Open the door. <laughs> Bye. And Jesus steps in and stops everybody before they start throwing the rocks. And he says, let he who's without sin throw the first stone. You do all of this knowing that one day you will get fired because we all get fired. But by the grace of God, you might get hired back to be a consultant. Hey, sweetie. What's up? <laughs> so good. We're going to talk more uh, about dads. I think that our world needs dads today. Wouldn't you agree? And what God's definition is of a dad. And um, I'm grateful for my dad. I, I use this. Um, very true joke every year that uh, in our home um, we didn't have time out we had times up and uh, my, my dad was very fair but he was strong and I think sometimes the fear of dad keeps us from evil doesn't it 
Yeah, so, uh, so anyways, uh, my dad's watching online today, so happy Father's Day, Dad. And, um, and I know that for all of us today, we'll get the opportunity to just share um, just God's love with our, our parents. And, and for some as well, it's a difficult day. Today is a day where you think about um, maybe you've lost your dad or maybe you have the grief of, of not having a, a dad in your life. And, you know, whenever we have these moments of, like, great victory and you know, Volkswagen bus out front and coffee and, you know, we're celebrating things and we also live in this reality of a, of a world of tension, uh, a world where things don't always go the way that they're supposed to go. And that's where we come back to God's word and we find in God's word this tremendous father's heart of, of our God who meets every need, every one of your needs, financially, emotionally, physically, spiritually, um, but it requires us to turn to him and put our trust in him. And so this morning, we're going to continue on in the book of Psalms. Have you been enjoying our summer in the Psalms? Yeah? I, I certainly have. Um, Pastor, Andy, Pastor Andy and I were talking about it that uh, it's, it's almost like, you know, you go to study after, you know, I, I often study on Mondays. I find like I want to just hear from the Lord right after Sunday. I want to go, okay, what do you want to say next? And sort of sit in the in the the text throughout the week and let the scripture come alive. And it's like, okay, what is God going to say this week? What does he have for us? And you almost don't want to read ahead, you know. Um, each week has something significant. And this Psalm 125 certainly is the case for us today, that, that God has something for us. And so I want you to, to buckle up and be ready and, and, and engage and, and listen to what the Spirit has to say, because I do believe it's something that um, is transformational for each one of us. So would you turn your Bibles, or it'll be up on the screen, to Psalm 125, and starting in verse 1, um, I'll just read it in its entirety, and then, um, and then I'll hopefully break out some of it for us today. It says this in Psalm 125, verse 1, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. The mountains surround Jerusalem, or as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. From this time on and forevermore, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who do good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But to those who turn away to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with the evildoers. And then the proclamation, peace be upon Israel. And I, I asked Christian to, to share that song with you today, and, and maybe you've heard it before, the song Surrounded, um, to, to just be a reminder of what this scripture says to us, that, that we're surrounded by the Lord. How many of you sometimes feel like everything is closing in around you, and dads, moms, kids, everybody, you know, you, you, you can have the sense that you're surrounded, but this psalm brings us in the very beginning to the reality that we can have such stability in Christ, that we can have stability in the care and the love that our God has for us. If you look at it again, it says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. If you, if you really read that portion of scripture, you find a conditional statement, right? It doesn't say that, that everybody is, is like Mount Zion. It says, those who trust in the Lord. How many could raise your hand and say, sometimes it's easy to trust them, sometimes it's not, right? And, and if you were to raise your hand and say, hey, how many times has God let you down? Like, how many times has he let you down? If you really think about that, if you, if you lean into the character of God, you realize he never has. But yet we have to go through this spiritual battle 
every time, and maybe we've won some tremendous victories. You've seen amazing provision. You've seen healing in your life. You've seen God resource you with all that you needed for a difficult season. And then what happens? It comes around again, another trial or some other um, opportunity for instability in your life. And there it is again. We're facing our humanity with like, do I really trust him? When we have the whole track record, we have the track record of God's word, we have even his ex- the experiences of him showing up for us, and yet we as humans come to this place where we willfully have to go, okay, I am going to trust in the Lord. Is this making any sense to you? I can think of so many times when I was on the mission field and you know, you, you're living by faith, but, but guess what the, the secret is? We're all living by faith, right? And, and I remember when finances would be low and, you know, there would maybe be an outreach or an opportunity that was there and you had to trust God for like a crazy amount of money, like $1,000 or something like that. I was like, whoa, you know, and, and, and so I, I remember thinking like, how is that ever going to come in? And you would pray and, and, and the Lord would do miraculous provision. But then a couple weeks later or a couple months later or a year later, you're in the same scenario and you're like, I wonder if he's going to do it again. And God never fails. And so we know right out of the gate that even though we have situations that are disappointments in our lives, the conditions of our world, the, the reality of wickedness, which this psalm will address, that wickedness presses in and evil presses in, but our God is faithful. And if we trust in him, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. And what is Mount Zion like? That's the question we should ask ourselves, right? That there's topography for the nation of Israel. Remember that this these Psalms of Ascent are going upward toward Jerusalem. So pilgrims are, are taking a road trip and they're rehearsing these songs and remembering who their God is along the way to go and worship three times a year. Everybody does it. It's very communal. It's a beautiful thing, right? And so as they're going from whatever region that they have been either displaced in or, or chosen to live outside of Jerusalem, they're making their way up and they're looking um, at the topography, the area, and they're finding that there are, are large hills or mountains, as the Bible describes them, that are in that area. And that's where you have like the Psalm 121. I look up to the hills, where does my help come from? And so the references to, to what's going on in creation is, is frequent in these Psalms. But Mount, Mount Zion is nestled in the middle of surrounding hills. Right? And so you have Jerusalem, and surrounded are, are several different mountains. Um, there's the Mount of Olives, there's the Mount of Scopus, and um, I, I wrote them down here. Uh, the, I can't even pronounce them in their Hebrew. You know, you, you, you want to say it and sound cool, but then somebody who knows more than you is like, he doesn't know what he's saying. You know? So I'll just avoid that today. But just know that there are, are several mountains that are surrounding. And what that meant for the nation of Israel was a sense of security. And by the way, Mount Zion was not the the tallest mountain. It was the one nestled into taller mountains that surrounded it. So it gave a sense that it would be uh, uh, something that would hinder the enemy from coming in and attacking that area. And what I found interesting, and, and when I read it now, and I'm reading ancient words to a people who were hearing them for the first time a millennia ago, and I'm reading it today, And I'm reading that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. And I could hop on a plane right now and I could end up in Jerusalem and I could look and see Mount Zion. And guess what? That same mountain that they were being taught and told that that they could be secure like that is still there today. That earthquakes haven't removed it. That weather patterns haven't destroyed it. That war hasn't beat it up. 
that it is still there. Isn't that amazing to you? I mean, just for fun, go, whoa, right? But if you really think about it, there is a, a physical location that our scripture is comparing the stability that we can have, that we could look at and go, okay, it's going to be all right if I trust in the Lord. And, and, and I know that if I go around the room here and if I were to ask, if we had the time, we could pass that wireless microphone around and everybody could say, hey, I'm trusting God for this or I don't know how this is going to happen or that's going to happen, that this is common to our condition as humans that we need to trust in the Lord because we got stuff going on. But those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. It abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. The Lord um, from this time and forevermore. There's another psalm that I love. And, and the, it's Psalm 139. And you probably know it, but it gives the same idea, but it gives some different words. It says in Psalm 139, verse 1, O Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. And here's, here's what I want you to hear. You hem me in. You're behind me, you're before me, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's so high, I cannot attain it. I don't know how you view the presence of God or God in your life, but for those who trust in the Lord, he promises stability. But God also is surrounding you as a way of comfort. When I think of being hemmed in, uh, I, I, I think of, of like a weighted blanket, you know? Uh, I, I think of that like, oh, you know, my, one of my favorite naps of all times. I, I, serious, I remember to this day, I was in um, school, I was living in Hawaii, we, we, we had this huge feast from one of our friends, they, their parents invited us over, um, they were the kindest people, her mom just kept feeding us more and more and more, and then I remember she said, okay, now it's time for everybody to take a nap, we're like, really, this is amazing, she said, oh yeah, she said, just find a spot, and I remember one by one she came to us and she did that thing where you go like this, you know, with the blanket and you feel it fanning on you. I asked Rochelle to do it just to, reca to recapture that all the time. <laughs> Can you do the blanket thing? And so, you know, you're just coming like this and then it just like, whew, it settles on you, right? You feel the weight of that blanket and I'm just, I'm out. The tryptophan kicks in and you just wake up and you're just feeling fat and happy. And man, when I think of the, the, the way of, often how we might view God, like him surrounding us could be feelings of guilt and shame, like, oh, he's going to find something out as if God didn't know everything already. But the, the imagery of scripture is that when we trust in him, he wants to produce stability in our life and he wants to hem us in with his comfort. He wants to be that weighted blanket over our lives. And it's for a reason. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment. There's a... Um, I get back to that point, and if you're looking for a title today, the title is Surrounded, because what Scripture is telling us over and over again, that regardless of what's happening in our world, our culture, or your world independently, that God is surrounding you, and he's hemming you in, and he's been doing it from the beginning of time. Do you remember in 2 Kings, there, we've referenced this, I've referenced this before in this series, but in 2 Kings, there was a moment where Elisha, the, the prophet after Elijah, Elisha was 
giving away military secrets so the Syrian army didn't like it. And he knew those military secrets because God was telling him. And so he was giving a heads up to Israel to, to, hey, don't make this move because this is what's happening. And it was described by this king of Syria's um, advisors like, Elisha can tell the secrets that you tell in your bedroom, right? So Elisha had insight. And so for a powerful, prideful king, that would really make you upset, wouldn't it? Like, who is this guy who is telling my secrets? I can't, I can't advance on my enemy. And so he decides to get his special forces together and brings a great army against just two, Elisha and his servants. You know this story? And, and just pretend if you don't. Be like, yeah, totally. So it is a real story in the Bible. And so as, as the, the armies advance, and you know that Elisha's servant is looking, and what can he see? The armies that are advancing. What can you see? The armies that are advancing, right? And so as you look, you look at this overwhelming, let's just take our culture, the tide of culture, that this is not a new conversation. Even within this month, the, the, the Pride Month, where you see everywhere this onslaught of, here's a different way, here's a different idea, and it's a celebration of, of darkness. It's not just... It's not just calling out for equality or whatever else. It's a celebration of darkness being brought into your life. Regardless of how you view it, you have to stand in Scripture and just go, okay, this is not okay. And as it comes on you, you feel it going, oh, you feel the wave coming on you. It's all you can see. It becomes our echo chamber to our Christian friends. Can you believe that? It becomes our memes that we share with one another. It becomes our jokes about, about this, the, the gay community. You know, it's, it's like, ugh. And the wave comes, and it's all you can see. Does anybody feel that way? Not just on that subject, but if you pick the entire culture. I mean, we could just begin to, to pick all kinds of cultural topics. It's all you can see. And so Elisha is stable, and he's calm in the midst of it. I don't know how you would be if you saw literal advancing armies coming up over you know, Chapman Hill, <laughs> cruising down, going east, coming up. You see the advancing armies. He's calm. He's stable. His servant is anxious. Elisha prays a prayer. He says, God, open his eyes. And his eyes are opened to a surrounding army. It may look like you're surrounded, but you're surrounded by him. That the song that you just sang, the repetition of it over and over again, this is how I fight my battle. It may look like I'm surrounded. This doesn't, the, the understanding of this is so key and so important to us because we could, we could in one way try to take scripture and say, it's not that big of a deal. God is victorious. It's going to be fine. But what scripture is teaching us through the Psalms and all throughout the big story of the Bible is there is a very present evil age that is advancing upon you with great intention and force. But there is a power that's greater that is surrounding that power. And that was the eyes that were opened of, of Elisha's servant where he goes, okay. And then he begins to walk in peace. A strategy is given. Um, that army does not destroy Elisha or his servant, but that army in itself becomes destroyed ultimately. Now, that's just an, an example in Scripture, but how does that fit into our life? What are the eyes that we're seeing things through? Because this next point in the psalm, if you look at, the, at, at verse number three, this is hope for us. This psalm takes us through a progression of understanding the stability that we can have regardless of circumstance, it gives us hope, and then it really calls us and warns us. It says in, in verse 3, For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest 
on the hand, excuse me, on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hand and do to do wrong. When I read this, the, the thought that I had that was so clear that really brought comfort to me was that regardless of what we face in the cycles of history and what regardless of what a culture faces, that wickedness has a shelf life. Wickedness does not last forever. Wicked rule, wicked government, wickedness as a whole does not last forever. It has an expiration date. And, and when you consider that according to God's word, um, you have to look at, is that like a false hope? Is that that, okay, your, your favorite candidate's going to be president next time? It's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you look at, at what the scripture says, let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Ultimate authority comes from God. Here's what it says in, in verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him, Jesus, the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It may look like you are surrounded by a present evil empire, pick your nation, but you're surrounded by the authority that is ultimately from God, that God throughout the course of time and history has used for his purposes people, rulers, and governments to achieve his will. And so we can lean in to the comfort of God's will, but we can also open our eyes and soberly look at the reality that a nation receives the leadership that they deserve. Justin laughed, but nobody else did. <laughs> a nation receives the leadership that it deserves. I'm not just talking about the vote and democracy. I'm talking about the big picture as you, you look at the way that, that, that Israel, God's nation, was led. That there were times of affluence. There were times of, of punishment. There were times where he even used wicked empires to bring about his will and his way and his time. It's the, it's the stuff that you, you try to reason through understanding how God does what he does and you're just like, well, I don't know. I, I, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. I, I rest in the stability that I can have if I trust you regardless of the circumstance. But let me read on before you, you might mistake what I'm saying. The ultimate authority in, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 and 4, this gives you such a stability when you consider this. And I heard a loud voice from his throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is within man. He will dwell in them. I love this. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There are seasons, there are moments, but ultimately, the reason that this passage is important, the reason that Philippians is important, and so many others, is we know that, that the rule and reign of God will be established. We know that ultimately, God will be victorious and good will overcome evil, right? We know that. That's not a fairy tale that we hope for. It's truth in God's word. And I say that to say this. We, we did a spiritual warfare series and um, 
Tony Evans, man, if you want to learn spiritual warfare, you want to get yelled at by Tony Evans. It's good stuff. Because it's a loving yell, isn't it? It keeps you awake, too. And, and my takeaway, one of my huge takeaways from that series, and men, I think some of you are shaking your heads because you, re, you remember it, but, but he said this statement that one of the things you have to remember is when we're fighting a spiritual battle, we are fighting from a position of victory. Even though we still have a, a battle to fight, we have already won as we begin fighting. And if you know that you still have to fight, but you're fighting from a position of victory, you fight differently. If you fight from a position, spiritually speaking, that you might lose, you're not stable. But you fight your spiritual battles from a position of victory. And those verses, in part, really give the picture. This is, what, um, this is just something that I, I, I wrote down. Because in, if, if all this is true, and I hope you can stay with me, that if all this is true that we have stability in Christ, that wickedness has a shelf life. How then shall we live, right? Francis Schaeffer, what do we do with what we know? I feel like there's two possibilities that we have, two options. There might be 27, but I'm only going to give you two. That if we know that wickedness has a shelf life, we can do one of two things. We can hunker down until it gets better. You can, you can isolate. You can find like a really sweet place to live that has a bunker that surrounds you, that has food for 97 years, and, uh, <laughs> and you can protect your people. Or you can engage in the culture that God has called you to live in, and in following Scripture, you can be in that place, within that culture, but not of that culture. And some of you are like, is there a third option? Because I'd like to do both. <laughs> um, yes, you can do both, I guess. But... Um, but, but as I'm reading scripture and, and in our, our men's group on, on Fridays, we've been going through Daniel's life. And Daniel modeled that so well. He, here he was taken into captivity. He was among the, the cream of the crop. He was given all the, the, the lure of that particular Babylonian culture. He was offered the finest of foods. He was offered so, um, you know, all that he could learn from this, this culture. And he was enculturated into it. Like he was taught all of it. But what was different about Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach? The, they decided that we're not going to be entrapped by it, but we're going to work within that system to influence that system. That we are going to be embedded in there and we're not going to eat the king's food. We're not going to drink the king's wine. But we're going we're gonna to eat these vegetables and we're going to become, uh, we're going to show the glory of God through doing things differently. So much so that we're attractive to the point that when things get really gnarly, that's a spiritual term, that when things get really, really difficult, when it's like no one else knows what to do, they know who to call. Who do they call when everything blows up? Daniel. Who should they call when everything blows up? Who should your neighbors call? Who should your friends call? If you're hunkered down somewhere so far away that you no longer have a phone, you can't be called upon. But if you're in a culture where you're mixing with people who have different ideas and different views, and these views aren't just different, but they're counter to the views of God. And even so much so that you're living in a world that now that's not just like, I believe differently than you, it's a very real threat that your particular view is not only different, but it's nearly illegal. 
And so it produces something of a gag upon your, you know, around your throat. Like you can feel, oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing. What's the latest term for what I want to address right now? I don't want to feel like an idiot. I don't want to say the wrong thing. But if we look at what God's word says and we look at the examples of people like Daniel, we realize we can, if we are secure in who he is, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. You hem me in. That if I, can, if I can address the emergencies, the moral emergencies that are occurring in this particular moment, if I can address them from a place of stability and a place of comfort of the Holy Spirit, I may just have a voice. If I address them as an echo chamber from a place of anger, now mind you, there's a place for righteous anger. I saw a really good video this week. Um, it was a, a, a pastor. I'm not even sure what, what, um, <laughs> what education board he was addressing. But you might have seen this if you thumbed through your feed. A, a younger pastor, and he stood up, and he just chose a book out of his kid's um, public school library. And again, this isn't every school. This isn't uh, across-the-board problem. But this was his experience. He picks up the book and begins. It was, it was around for the second grade reading level. And he begins reading out loud what the book said. And it was so vile that the, the, the I'm not, it's not funny, but what was, it, the, the funny part of it was is he's reading it loudly, and he was a big man, and he reads the book loudly, and, and the school board was saying, sir, sir, because the words he was using were graphic, and so he reads them louder, sir, you have to stop, and he says, what, does this offend you? Do, do these words offend you? And he says, they say, he said, if these words offend you, then why, are, why is my second grader allowed to read them if I can't read them here? And then they go on and they let him read, but they're trying to stop him. And then this was the best statement. He says in the end, they say, sir, your time's up. And he says, so is yours. And he walks away. <laughs> now listen, this is a, there is a place and it was an appropriate place as a citizen, as a spiritual leader, to be able to stand up and say, hey, in my kid's school, this is not going to happen. This is a role of a father. This is a role of a protector. This is a role that you find that in, you, can, you can speak God's truth in the environments that he's given you, just like Daniel did. Let me give you some examples. Daniel, um, in, in his years in the Babylonian Empire, and the, the beauty that we have of Daniel's example is we see him as a young man, and then we see him as an old man, and he was consistent all the way through, and he maintained the reputation that, God gave, that he had earned as a follower of God, but he also maintained his disciplines throughout. First, he prayed fervently, right? Daniel continued to pray. Secondly, Daniel refused to assimilate into the pagan culture, so he was a part of the culture, and he all about it, but he refused to become like that culture. Third, uh, he worked hard and with excellence with whatever God put before him, the jobs. Even Daniel worked in government. Some of you, and I'm not saying this in a, in a mocking kind of like, let's laugh haha about it, but some of you work for very pagan people with a very pagan type agenda. And God has placed you there to be a light, just like Daniel was a light. And when things were really, really bad, Daniel was the guy that was called upon. And then Daniel was also given responsibility within that system that was an evil system. 
Isn't that crazy? Let, let me give you like the reality of, this isn't a series on Daniel, but let me give you the reality of how, how difficult this was. Daniel was in charge of like the spiritual people. He wasn't just in charge of the voice for the Most High. He was in charge of the, the pagan, the, the soothsayers. The, the, that was his job. Like, how do you navigate that? That's crazy. And yet that's where God put him. And Daniel, um, he, he goes through and he always gives God honor for the miraculous. And he refused to be trapped by fame. God wants to give us these voices. God wants to give us these opportunities. And it is time to speak into culture. It is time. And some of you do it now. But it's time to find the way to do it. It's time to get our hands dirty in that. But to do it in such a way that doesn't protect your peaceful existence, but to do it in a way that advances the kingdom of God. There's a big difference in that. Sometimes we look at what's happening in our culture and go, oh man, if this happens, if this tax come, or if this thing, it's going to mess up my happy life. It isn't about our happy lives. It's about righteousness. It's about the God who wants to do good. Does this make sense to anybody at all? Let me just go a little deeper in it. Since we're already here on Father's Day, you're supposed to keep it light on Father's Day. <laughs> Second Timothy 3, 1 through 9 Second Timothy is the, the, the instruction letter that this young pastor is getting in, in how, to, how to help the, the followers of God. How do you navigate the, the culture? What's, in, what's comforting about the Bible is that there's nothing new under the sun. This isn't like the first time that things have gone off the rails. And things are off the rails. You know that, right? Like, you know it's off the rails. Second Timothy 3 and verse 1, it says, But understand this, that in the last days... There will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. This is written in 65 AD. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Un That's why I said it, because it's Father's Day. That's one, disobedient to <laughs> Ungrateful, unholy, heartless unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. This is painful to read. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into the households and capture weak women burdened with, with sins and lead them astray with, by various passions always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Just as Jans and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they, listen to this, okay, this is important. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was of those two men. Wickedness has a shelf life. It is not the ultimate. Wickedness will not win out. Good will overcome evil. That is the promise of God. The, the, the people that are being referenced there is kind of these two mystery figures. Um, the two were, were likely those who were among the magicians that were duplicating the miracles of Moses. 
And so even as they opposed and they tried to bring some other form of godliness but that had no power, so the, the, the things of unrighteousness, the things of wickedness will not prevail, but God will prevail. Now we get into um, the last and final bit, and, and I'd really invite you, if you can, as best as possible, to reject the bear claw that is rebelling inside of you right now. <laughs> Choose the coffee. Cold brew moments. Because this is really what I think matters. I think all of this is telling you what you've already known. You don't need me to tell you the, the specific stories of, of culture clashes. The, the culture of darkness that is clashing against the culture of light. You experience it every single day. It frustrates you. It bothers you. It stirs you. But remember what the psalm is leading us to. Those who trust in the Lord are strong like Mount Zion, and they will not be moved. The warning that comes that says that the scepter of the righteous will not rest upon the land allotted, lest basically, lest that scepter last too long. The point that it's making in that psalm is if that wickedness rests for too long, the righteous people will be affected by it. That is the warning part. Can I go back there so that you know exactly what I'm talking about? Good, because I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> psalm chapter 125, verse 3. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest upon on the, the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands and do wrong. The very real warning is, is one you've heard for probably your whole Christian life, if you've been around the, the, the church or if you've followed God, is you, you, you need to be aware that as, as wickedness continues to, to loom, Without the understanding that it has a shelf life, you can quickly go, I've been good for so long. I think I want to be a little bad. I'm tired of being the one person in the room who doesn't have the same view on X. Maybe there is a better way to reinterpret Scripture to be more convenient to this position that I'm bothered by. If the whole of society and culture says that, that this is okay, then maybe it is okay, because I'm tired. I've been doing this a long time, and I'm the last of my friends who has an opposing view. Does anyone relate to that at all? You see, this is why this psalm is important to us. This is why you remember, okay, this is what I'm called to. I'm not, I'm not called to be that annoying person that's judging people all the time. Nobody likes that. But what I'm called to is a standard of stability, a standard of comfort, one who emulates a person like Daniel, who, who is like, yep, I know we're in this system. I'm even doing some controversial stuff because it's where I'm in the lane that I'm in. I'm not saying controversial sin. I'm saying, like, look at Daniel having to navigate through. How do I lead people who are not of my same faith? I'm their boss in a pagan culture. Receiving the wisdom of God to do that, but walking in faithfulness because those moments come where righteousness shines like the noonday sun, where righteousness shows up, where righteousness and good becomes to, begins to conflict or, or, or confront wickedness. And so in this last part of the psalm, it says, Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts, but to those who, who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. And then it's a proclamation, peace, be upon Israel. 
The conclusion of this is this, not just for dads, but I would say specifically a word for dads. I think you know this, but if we're honest and we look at what our culture tells us, there is a very real attempt to erase you. There's a very real attempt to make you insignificant. I think it began many years ago just to like make fun, you know, like dads in, cast in most every film, most every sitcom. You think, do you think, when you see the dad, is it like, man, there's a person of integrity who works hard, protects his family, loves his wife, instructs his children, love, love, love them enough to discipline them. Do you ever see that portrayed in popular culture? What you see, we kind of laugh about. There's the guy who doesn't know how to dress, he doesn't know how to eat, he doesn't know how to cook. He's barely making it, right? Am, am, am I crazy or? or? Somebody like, <laughs> never mind. So, so anyways, this is, this, it begins this way. And, the, and then, it, then it becomes more, as you, you read through culture and you see through culture, it becomes more of a concerted effort to just remove dads, periodly. To redefine what a dad is. In fact, um, this isn't to stir the pot because I think the pot is already stirred enough in your own lives. But as I was even researching some of the, the, the views of, of what a dad does, and we know throughout, throughout centuries it's very clear that dads have a very specific role in bringing stability into a home. Dads have a very specific role in helping kids understand their morality and shaping the way that they view and see the character and nature of God. If our God is a father, it doesn't mean that mom doesn't have a part. She has a huge part in that. But dad has a massive role in showing what a good father is and helping a child teach them specifically the ways of the Lord. It is a role that is played. But when I, I, you, you can go back and read psychological journals from like the 80s and you read the ones coming into 2000 and further, you see a completely different story that begins to erase dad. And the, the last one that I had read um, was it said, we, this was their specific organization, this isn't all people in this field, but our organization redefines dad as whoever thinks they are fulfilling this role. So it's not a male who has fathered a child who is fulfilling a specific role, it is whoever thinks that they are fulfilling this role. And then it goes on to say what the role is. It's just like a big disclaimer. And so I say this to say, if you are surrounded by these thought processes, what do you do? It may look like you're it may look like you're surrounded. Okay, so as you're surrounded by these thought processes, do you get just like, oh, the culture's so terrible. Where can we buy land? Let's go, let's get away. Or do you say, God, open my eyes. What is behind what is surrounding me? This is surrounding me. What's behind what's surrounding me? And as your eyes begin to open, you receive a brand new calling that's fresh that goes, there are chariots of fire there. Uh, God's chariots are better than this guy's chariots. Chariots with a flame job. That's just even cool, dads, am I right? It may look like you're surrounded, but there's something beyond what you see. And the, the attempt of the enemy is to wear you down so much. You can't, your jokes aren't even funny. They're called dad jokes. You know, it's just to wear you down. You're going to say the wrong thing. Just don't say anything. Let her handle it. Let culture handle it. I really want to get on a soapbox right now and say this. This idea to just let your kids figure it out on their own is wrong. It's wrong. This is our job. It's our job in Scripture. It's our job in Scripture to teach and train them, instructing them in the ways of the Lord. It may seem like they're going, huh, when you're telling them. 
But every word that you speak is seed sowing into a fertile heart. And let me tell you something. Why is this is, is so dangerous for them to figure it out on their own? Is because that reality does not exist. There is somebody who wants to disciple your son and daughter. And they're doing a really good job bringing their ideas and their views into your kids' heads. And unless you are aware and, and specifically speaking truth over the lies and, and helping them to see beyond what is surrounding them, then they won't figure it out on their own. They will be, they will be programmed into the very program that was designed for them. Does that make sense? And I'm talking to good Christian people. I know that you're a part of this, but my hope is to, to especially dads and, and dads-to-be, this is a very intentional effort of knowing the hearts of your kids, of standing in that place in the gap for a culture who has a different message for them, of living it out, of speaking the truth of God's word into their life, and, and helping them to see the way that they should walk so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. Amen, young one. Amen. <laughs> I want to invite uh, Christian to Christian to come back up, and I have just a few ending thoughts of conclusion and application for dads and and for all of us. And I really prayed. I've really asked the Lord to allow these words to be prophetic into our hearts. To to not be a, a message that you hear and just go, oh, how could I ever do these things? But to receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, whether you are a part of, um, it doesn't mean that you, this is only for dads, but I think being that it's Father's Day, I really want to speak into the hearts of men. Because clearly there is a concerted effort to not only destroy or to write dads out of the picture, but really to remove masculinity as anything that could potentially be redeemable or holy. But God made men to be men, and he made women to be women for specific reasons. And as we uh, begin to consider some of the, the, the realities that scripture is, is telling us, do you, you come solo? You don't come with a whole band? They got, oh, okay. Yeah, the rest of you guys could come too. It makes it, it just makes it like a better thing, right? I meant, I meant Christian and the rest of the worship team. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'll take just you all day. I, I love you. But I, I just speak this into all of us, but specifically men. As you read this last bit of the psalm, it says, Do good, O Lord, to those who are good. This is a prayer, right? Lord, where there's righteousness moving, um, do righteous things. Lord, do good, O Lord, to those who do good, to those who are upright in their hearts. We want to be about what God is doing, discovering what God is doing. We don't have to try to make it happen on our own. We just need to jump into the stream of what God is already doing. We need to pray for eyes to see what the Lord is doing and be a part of what God is doing with all that we are. But to those who, who turn away to their crooked ways, oh Lord, lead them away with the evildoers. This prayer is an important prayer. This prayer is, Lord, let righteousness flourish in my family's life. Let righteousness flourish in my kids' lives. Let righteousness flourish in my job situation, in the school that my children attend. Let it flourish. And Lord, 
Where there is unrighteousness, let it flee. Don't forget that there is tremendous power in your prayer. That is why Daniel did that so consistently, living in a pagan world. He couldn't stop doing it. And to the point that he's like, eh, sorry, I also have to go visit the lions if that's what it means. But I'm not stopping. Because prayer is so important. And so the first thing for us is the, the call to prayer. Prayer for your family. Prayer for your kids. Prayer for your kids' schools. Whatever school God's called you to place your kids in. And that is an independent decision for each parent. The one thing I would implore you to do is know you're the name of your kid's teacher. Know the name of their principal. Know the environment that they're in and begin praying by name for them. For the ones who are discipling your children, pray for them. Secondly, um, along with the prayer is to plead, right? To plead. Pleading is like, prayer, prayer is, is communication with God, but there's this reality of this fervent effectualness that comes in prayer. It's like, Okay, I'm not just throwing out words I'm reading. I'm giving my all to this. I am, you know what a plead is, right? You are longing to see something occur. I implore you to, to just receive the Holy Spirit and the passion that comes with the Holy Spirit to be one who pleads, one who speaks truth, speaks righteously, does it from a foundation of being surrounded by the Lord, surrounded by his care, surrounded in his love, but not afraid to plead. Thirdly, declare peace. This is all found in the psalm. I didn't make these things up. I pray, I plead, and I speak peace. There is something powerful that you, you are a bringer of peace. Jesus said it. There's something blessed about that. And bringing peace sometimes requires exposing chaos, right? Exposing chaos and then inserting yourself into a situation where you can bring, be a peace bringer. This has all kinds of further conversations as to what that looks like on a practical level, but I would just ask you to, to, to listen to it. Surround your families, protect them. Walk in, um, as, you, as you walk in the security of God's love, expose wickedness. You know, it's okay for you to say to your kids, this is wrong, this is wicked. It's what they're looking for you to do. It's okay for you to say what is right and wrong according to Scripture. I feel silly saying it. Whoa, I just got powerful. <laughs> but it is right and good for you to say, this is wrong, this is right. It does not make you hateful. It does not make you hateful to the, even the people who are doing wrong. It makes you truthful. And kids will, will, will lean in to those who speak truth. Kids are amazing at discernment, by the way. Because they're not tainted by so much of this world. And so they, can, they just can sense where there's truth. And so speak truthfully. Expose wickedness. Don't allow your, your children um, to be overcome by evil. But as the word says, teach them to overcome evil with good. I think it's important that, um, that all of us hear this. It's not wise or biblical, again, to let your kids figure out what's right and wrong. It's not wise or biblical. It's wise and biblical to give them all the tools and to instruct them on, on what is right and wrong. And so as we end our time, um, can we just stand together? Can we sing this song once again? Can we be reminded that there's a whole lot surrounding you in your workplace? There's a whole lot surrounding your kids. But the response is not, in, not meant to be fear. It's not meant to be anxiety. It's meant to be security. That those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion who will never be moved. 
God, show us, Lord. Open our eyes as you did for Elisha's servant. Open our eyes to see all that we can see is the tidal wave that's surrounding us. Open our eyes to see what surrounds the tidal wave. Christian, will you lead us in the song and let's respond to the Lord. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. 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 understand truly what is right, truly what is wrong. You call us to be bringers of hope, those who speak truth and love, those who do good 
In fact, you even say that we shouldn't grow weary in doing it because in the end, we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. And so often it's, it's, it's very real to us to want to give up when we see what surrounds us. It's overwhelming and confusing. And we offer up to you all that confusion and that sense of being overwhelmed and we exchange it for what your word tells us today, that those who trust in you are as strong as a mountain. We're like Mount Zion and we can't be moved. Lord, we respond to your word that calls us to pray, to plead, and to proclaim blessing and peace. God, we respond to your word that reminds us that wickedness doesn't last forever, but you reign and rule supreme. And in the midst of wicked times, there's ways that we're to respond and to act. And so, Lord, as we, as your people stand before you, God, we recognize the present evil age. Lord, we recognize the things that are happening that are impacting the lives of our children and teaching them a new kind of morality that isn't morality at all. And God, as your people, we reject what is not true. And we hold on to what is true, pure, and praiseworthy. Lord, we know, God, that you created us in your image and that your word says that we were made male and female. And so, God, we reject an agenda and a lie that tells us differently, that we get to choose who we are. You called us, and what you made was beautiful, and you say that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so as we stand here in your presence, God, we repent, Lord, from bringing into our lives any agenda that's outside of yours, where we might even lean into a belief system that has overwhelmed and surrounded us to think differently about gender and identity. God, we offer that to you. Lord, we as your people stand before you in repentance. Lord, for anything that we've done to contribute to the loss of innocent life, Lord, where we have stayed idly by and said nothing, done nothing, or believed differently about a simple truth that you can't take life, especially from a womb, that you're the protector of the innocent. And God, in the midst of the political confusion about that that can surround us, we choose you surrounding us in stability and strength and in clarity. And God, forgive us, Lord, if our hands are dirty with any kind of sin because of our unwillingness to be a voice. Lord, forgive us, God, and free us too, Lord, from guilt and shame from the, the things of our past. We stand before you as righteous because of your precious shed blood. Lord, we, we stand here as dads, Lord, the men that are here, spiritual fathers, Lord, those willing to speak up and to say, I will protect my children. I'll protect them physically. I'll protect them spiritually. I'll protect them emotionally. I'll invest in their lives. I'll get to know them at every phase of their life. Even when it seems they don't want to know me, I'm going to press in. I'm going to surround them with prayer. I'm going to plead on their behalf. I'm going to provide walls of security because I love them. God, may that be our plea and our cry and our heart's desire. I pray, Lord, that you would equip dads, Lord, that you would inspire them and encourage them, especially dads who've experienced very real rejection and really the, the difficulties that come when an individual chooses rebellion that's outside of their control. God, I bless dads and moms and grandmas and grandpas, Lord, in this community. God, we, we say we want to follow you. We want to walk in your ways. We want to focus on what surrounds what is surrounding us. We honor you. We praise you. We bless your name.
Christ's name. Amen. 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 God bless you.